We have just read this psalm that we will consider tonight, Psalm 123. We've just sung this psalm as well. So you may want your Bible open there before you as we consider it tonight. But before we hear the Word of God preached, let's go to God and seek His blessing. Please pray with me. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, this is one of the primary means by which we see and know Your promise that You will never leave us nor forsake us. We need Your Word and we need the blessing of Your Holy Spirit to apply this Word to our hearts and so we ask for these things. Lord, we ask that we might have soft and receptive hearts before Your Word tonight that we might be ready to hear and to be blessed by this Word. But Lord, we do not presume that we might prepare our own hearts in that way, but we know our neediness and we depend entirely upon You. And so we come as poor beggars asking that You would bless us with the bread of Your Word, that You would bless us according to who You are, and that it would be an abundant blessing that we might eat and have our fill tonight so that we might be strengthened for another week ahead. And so we pray that you would bless us now to that end, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, about ten years ago, I went to a conference in which one of the speakers told us that he was going to play a certain video, and this video was going to have a number of soccer balls being kicked toward a goal. Some would go into the goal and others would miss. And he said as we watched that video, he wanted us to be prepared on the other side of it to answer a simple question. How many soccer balls made it into the goal? Well, as the video began to play, it became quite clear quickly that this would be a more difficult task than any of us imagined because the soccer balls came with such a rapid fire succession that it was very difficult to count them. After the video played, this, uh, this teacher then turned to all of us and said, so how many? And he called about a number of people throughout the room and everyone was wrong. He said, well, maybe you weren't well prepared for the chaos that was about to ensue, so I'm going to play the video again. As he prepared to play the video again, we all prepared ourselves to be more equipped, ready to focus upon the chaos of those soccer balls once again, thinking that that was what we needed in order to get the answer right. Well, he played the video a second time, and we all did our best to count those soccer balls. And when it was over, he began taking answers once again. No one was right. He could have stood there for hours calling on people and no one was going to be right. Then he told us he was going to play the video for a third time. And he wanted us to listen carefully to his instructions. He said, instead of focusing upon the chaos of the soccer balls in the center of the screen, I want you to intentionally lift your attention from that chaos and I want you to consider the greater context. He said, I want you to relax, actually, and not try so hard to count all of the soccer balls. I want you to simply step back and try to perceive everything that is going on. He played the video a third time, and it was the same exact video, and immediately the answer was crystal clear to everyone in the room. 
The answer was written in plain English in the corner of the screen. The answer was there staring us in the face the entire time. And yet what we needed to learn was it was very important that we focused upon what was right. If you tried to answer this question by trying to focus upon the chaos in the middle of the screen, you were bound to get it wrong. And so we needed the wisdom to lift our eyes away from that chaos and instead to focus upon the greater context. And once you did that, the answer became obvious. Well, in many ways, the psalm before us tonight teaches us the same lesson. The psalm before us tonight, especially in the, media, in, the, in, the, in the context of chaos, teaches us that we need to be intentional to turn our attention. So, brothers and sisters, what sort of chaos are you experiencing in your life tonight? What is it in your life that is burdening you or bringing you down? What is it in your life, the challenges and the trials of life that are really capturing your attention? Perhaps tonight the words of this psalm actually resonate too closely with your own experience as you might say of others in the wrong way, I have had more than enough of their scorn. Well, whenever this is the case, this psalm teaches us where to turn our attention and it really addresses four aspects of the turning of our attention and we'll consider each of those briefly tonight. Let's begin with the first, the turning of our attention. Verse 4 tells us what it is that God uses to turn our attention to Him. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Here, God actually gives us words within the Psalms by which we can give expression to the frustration that we endure when we face the derision of others. Now, there is debate among commentators about the source of this ridicule. Some would suggest that it is from without, that this mocking comes to the nations that surrounded Israel. But many others suggest that this scorn is also from within Israel. That sadly, this kind of mocking is found within the covenant community of God. And considering the history of God's people, both in the Scriptures and in church history, it is not hard to find examples of each of these. So what are we to learn from this? Well, first of all, this psalm teaches us that we are to expect this kind of conflict in the Christian life. God gave this psalm to His people thousands of years ago and it has been needed by us and put to good use by us ever since. We are to expect as God's people to face this kind of suffering in the pilgrim journey. Jesus Himself said, A servant is not above his master. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Remember, Jesus suffered derision at the hands of both the Romans and the Jews. Jesus knew what it was like to have His fill of suffering and contempt. Whether again it was the proud Romans or the proud Jews, He teaches that we as His disciples are to expect the same. 
We should, therefore, expect this kind of conflict living the pilgrim journey. But, expecting this kind of conflict, we also then need to appreciate what God has planned for us to find through this kind of conflict. I think we see this very well in the life of Joseph. His very own brothers not only sold him into slavery, but they then sent him down a path that was full of suffering and contempt. And after decades of all of this suffering, Joseph and his brothers are united or reunited in the providence of God. You know the story? Joseph's brothers are quaking. They are afraid that he is going to exact revenge upon them for the ways in which they had sinfully sought to destroy his life. But Joseph, assuming the right posture before God responded to them with the most amazing words. He said, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. What an incredible posture. Decades of suffering and you're able to say, you may have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Brothers and sisters, this is God's good design for you in all of your suffering. Even though it has a real evil intent behind it, God works together for good, all things for those who love Him. So even if we should expect this kind of conflict in the Christian life, we need to appreciate at the same time God's good design in it all. So what is God doing in your life tonight? What has He brought into your life in order that He might turn your attention to Him? Brothers and sisters, know that God has something better for you than the absence of conflict. God has something better designed for you than the simple absence of conflict. And that brings us to our second consideration this evening, which is the focus of our attention the psalm refers to God in two ways. Verse 1 begins, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. This reminds us that there is only one true and living God. There is one, only one who is ruling and reigning over all things. There is only one who is enthroned above it all. Verse 2 gives us additional language. It teaches us to cry out to the Lord our God. And this is significant because this is an explicit reference to the covenantal relationship that we now have with God through Jesus Christ. Apart from God's grace to us in Christ, we would remain God's enemies. We would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. And so this language helps us to appreciate the present place that we occupy as God's people. Who out there is as blessed as we are? Because we can call upon God as our God. The psalm teaches us to focus our attention upon our God. The psalm teaches us to turn our eyes from what is seen to what is unseen. From what changes to Him who stays the same. This reminds me of what we read in 2 Kings chapter 6. There Elisha and his servant are surrounded by the armies of Syria. And their end seems to the human eye, to be imminent. Elisha's servant asks him, what shall we do? And Elisha's answer is staggering. He says, do not be afraid. How? 
He goes on and he says, For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant is thinking to himself, I'm not stupid. I can see that we are far outnumbered. And so Elisha prays that God will open his eyes. And God answers that prayer and that servant's eyes are immediately opened so that he can see that the mountains that surround them are full of horses and chariots of fire. In turning his attention from what he could see and having his eyes open to see what was unseen, everything changed in a moment. And that is the secret of this psalm. Brothers and sisters, this psalm trains us to turn our attention from the trial that is right in front of us in order to focus upon the God who is behind it. So are you focused upon Him tonight? It can be so very easy to listen to all that that chaos wants to communicate to us. So how can you pivot in order to bring all of that before God? Could it be that you tonight need to see by faith, you need to hear and believe by faith that you actually have nothing to fear because those who are with you are greater than those who are against you. If you are alone with God, you are in the majority. If you have Him, you have all that you need. Robert Murray McShane once wrote, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. But then he said, distance makes no difference because He is praying for me. It doesn't matter that He's praying up in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He is still praying for you. So you do not need to fear even a million enemies. Brothers and sisters, remember this. Focus upon it. The scorn and the contempt that you will experience in this life will get louder and louder, but let it drive you to focus your attention upon God. Let it focus your thoughts upon, upon your powerful Savior. Let it focus your thoughts upon that One who can sympathize with you in every way. Let it focus your thoughts upon Him who is in you. The one who is in you because he is the one who is greater than he who is in the world. Remember, you will not be ready to engage what is seen until you have spent time with him who is unseen. Focus upon him. How? Well, that brings us to our third consideration, the manner of our attention. The psalm contains a, an incredibly instructive and beautiful picture of what it looks like for God's people to attend to Him. Listen again to this verse 2. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till He has mercy upon us. This imagery teaches us how we are to attend to God. First of all, we are to attend to God dependently. We are to attend to God dependently. We are to depend upon God for absolutely everything that we need. Second, we are to attend to Him watchfully. Notice how the psalmist describes it. The eyes of the servant watch closely the very hand of the Master. This means that the servant is watching for even the slightest movement from his master. 
Which means he understands that what he needs comes only from the Master. And so, third, we are to attend expectantly. Expectantly. The final words of verse 2 say, until He has mercy upon us. Here there is the expectation that mercy will be granted. Remember, God Himself gave us these words and He said, bring them to Me. The psalmist doesn't know when, but he knows that it is not if, but when. He will find mercy. At some point, because of who God is and because of what God has promised, this mercy will be poured out. It will be provided. Fourth, we are to attend exclusively. Exclusively. The servant does not attend to his master and anything else. No, he attends to his master alone. His master is the sole object of his attention. This reminds me of the words of Psalm 63. Oh God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise You with joyful lips when I remember You upon, the, upon my bed and meditate upon You in the watches of the night. For You have been my help, and in the shadow of Your wings I will sing for joy. God and God alone will satisfy the psalmist. Brothers and sisters, again, this imagery is instructive. The psalm describes a kind of intensity in seeking after God, and it describes a kind of intensity that is proportional to its expectations from God. He attends intently because he has incredible expectation regarding what God will give. Well, the reason why the psalmist attends so intently is because of what he expects to receive. Which brings us to our final consideration, the anticipation of our, uh, our attention. So what does the psalmist anticipate from giving to God his undivided attention? What does this psalm teach us to expect when we attend to God in this way? Well, the short answer is mercy. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. Our eyes look to the Lord our God till He has mercy upon us. When we look to God, when we plead with God for mercy, we are imploring Him to look upon us in our neediness and then to provide precisely what we need. This idea is keep in keeping with the imagery of this psalm. The servant looking to the hand of his master is entrusting himself entirely to that master. He is saying, Master, look upon me in my poor estate. I am poor and needy. I cannot provide what I need. I can't even know exactly what I need. But you are my master. And you know what I need. And so I look to you and I plant myself here and I will attend to nothing else until I receive your mercy. Mercy is the appropriate idea here because it anticipates everything that might well be warranted or needed. Mercy is broad and comprehensive. 
It comprehends the wisdom of God in giving exactly what is needed and when. So brothers and sisters, here we are taught to look to God no matter what our adversaries hurl at us because God's mercy will always be what we need. Matthew Henry put it this way, whatever the troubles of the church are, God's mercy is the sovereign remedy. What do you need tonight? You need mercy. And we can think about this mercy in two ways. First of all, we must remember that God's promise in Lamentations 3 is that His mercies never end. In fact, they are new every morning. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in the fact that you are not expected to live the new day on yesterday's mercies. No, you are expected to live today in the mercies that God has provided afresh. So, when you wake each day, you are to open your eyes and immediately go to God expecting to find fresh mercies. Maybe you've come to the end of a hard day and you are wearied and you wonder, how am I going to do it all again? Well, what you do is you go to bed, you pray, and you expect in the morning to find new mercies. You bring God His promise. You say, Lord, You have said that these mercies will be new and I need Your mercies afresh. Remember God's promise and rely upon those promised mercies each day. Second, not only does God provide new mercies each day, but He provides mercy to His people forever. He will provide you mercy forever. God's mercies never come to an end. Consider how many saints throughout the ages have relied precisely upon this psalm, even as we are tonight and that psalm was one of the things that God used to help carry them through the pilgrim journey. Think then about how these people now make up that cloud of witnesses that surround us even now while we worship. And they are testifying to us tonight that His mercies never fail. So brothers and sisters, what is it that plagues you? What is it that burdens your soul? God's mercies are broad enough to cover whatever it is that burdens you. Bring it to Him. Bring it to Him and you will find mercy for your soul. Remember the promise of Hebrews 4.16 which says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you tonight regarding whatever it is that is a burden to your soul. I want to encourage you to use it according to God's design. Use it. Use it because God has better designs for your trial than if He were to simply remove it from you. Whatever may be aimed at you for evil, God's grand design is for your greater good. Remember the Apostle Paul. For we see it clearly in him. Three times he cried out that that thorn in the flesh sent to him by God that it might be removed from him. But God gave an answer that was better than the removal. He said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And in that moment, the Apostle Paul learned the secret of this song. Because then he was later able to write, Therefore, 
I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You that we can read Your Word, we can hear it preached, and that we can sing it. Lord, these words are wonderful when read and even better when sung. We thank You that You have provided for us an entire book of Psalms that give us confidence in approaching You. Lord God, You know us. You know our frame. You know our needs, each one. And so we bring Your Word back to You tonight with confidence because it was given to us by You and we say, Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, we will fix our eyes upon You until You have shown mercy because Your Word has promised that You will indeed show mercy. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.